City Lights is a community of faith in Jesus, seeking to equip people to exalt Him and extend His kingdom. This message is from our study through the Gospel of John called Believe, Jesus Changes Everything. If you are encouraged and challenged by this message, please share it with someone, post it on social media, or let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 14. Just to let you know, uh, Timothy, our worship leader, and Oliver and I specifically, we get together every week and talk about uh, this morning and how God worked, and then we plan for the next one. And we actually were planning this week uh, for me to actually be on stage and teach the whole time, and then we added some music back in, and I was going to teach the rest of uh, John chapter 14, which to me was three total messages, and I was going to try to do it in one, which is never a good idea. If you've been here long enough, I've tried to do those things, and then I get in like two sentences out of 35. Um, And so... It's so interesting preparing this week and getting ready. Yesterday, I was doing a lot of work, and then this morning, I did a lot of work. And from choosing to do, I think, verse 8 through uh, 31, I've shrunk all the way down to only verse 12. So um, it's just interesting when you're walking with the Holy Spirit with open hands, sometimes he adds things to it, sometimes he takes things away, and I'm just really trusting that this morning is genuinely what he wants to be said about him and for our ears and our heart to receive the things that he has for us. So I'm really, uh, I'm really humbled and I'm excited about things we're going to see. If you haven't been here before, I'm going to be, um, even if you don't understand these words, I'm going to sound a lot more, uh, I'll be a lot more in the teaching lane. And, you know, you're like, oh, we teach every week. Well, sometimes it's more inspiring and preaching. Today is going to be a lot more teaching. So if you're a note taker, you're going to probably need a napkin to catch your drool and a pen and paper to go because it's going to be more on the academic scholarly side. That does not mean by any means that we're just going to talk about scholarship. But it's really great when you, when you understand and study the scriptures in the way that they've been written. There are things that come to the surface that just make you go, wow, and for friends like JT in the room who is more of a science mind and fact mind and statistic mind, this is a, a message that's going to make help your faith grow. So it's interesting. Sometimes scholastics and academics, though they don't feel relational or emotional, really stir up our, our faith and stir up our, our belief. And really, that's my hope this morning, that as we've been going through the book of John, 14 chapters now, and this conversation is called Believe, Jesus changes everything that we will consistently be presenting what John said Jesus was all about, which ultimately is believing. And so this morning is going to be one of those messages that I want you to encourage you to to take notes. And also, there are so many things on the slide, not a ton of slides, but really dense slides. And a lot of you just, some of you hold up your iPads, your Androids, and your phones and take pictures. You're going to want to take pictures of a few things just because there's a lot of scriptures, references that'll be on the screen. So you guys ready? Good. I'm fresh off equipping environment. That's why I had like, you know, an hour and a half to teach. And so I'm going to try to do it in 20 minutes this morning, but it's going to be good, good, good. So uh, I am, I'm an artist at heart. I call myself more of like a reflector because God created everything. We just take his stuff and try to reflect his goodness. And so that's not trying to sound like Trinity or cool, like I'm a reflector, not a creator artist. But I don't actually say that publicly, but just how I understand that, anything that I do is uh, ultimately a, a byproduct of using all of his things and reorganizing them. So at best, we're cultivators, not really creators. That's besides the point. But I love art. I love all forms, just about all forms of art. I respect them, especially if they're done well. I like good art, but I love great art. And uh, I love music. I like good music. I love great music. Uh, and I like great music. I've been listening to Beethoven, Bach this last week, and I've been listening to 
other music that some of you um, probably wouldn't listen to, but they're great artists and writers, not only the music, but the, the communication and lyrics. And one of my favorite artists on planet Earth right now, and he's really been uh, probably the, the pinnacle uh, music playing artist f- for the last 10 or so years for me, just my opinion, is John Mayer. And if you guys know who John Mayer is, he's just a, a guitarist virtuoso. And uh, anytime he's within about two or three hours of this city, I go and see him. I brought my mentor, Charlie Boyd, with me to the John Mayer concert. And uh, this last time, just he and I went. And I told him, I said, this is going to feel uh, and seem a lot like a, a worship environment in one of our churches. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, watch the excellency. And when you see the excellency by which they do things, you will think to yourself, that expresses and honors God. Even though they're not doing it for the glory of God, it reflects him because they're producing sounds and notes that are rarely found. In fact, uh, Charlie Boyd, who I brought my mentor, he, he's been to the Eagles shows and Paul McCartney and all this, and he leaned over to me at some point, and he goes, that guy is able to do what nobody else I've ever seen able to do. And I went, and isn't that glorious? He's like, I get what you're saying. So anyway, you guys, that's, a, that's like a you know, nice picture, John Mayer. So I, I love his guitaring, and his lyrics are good and sometimes great, but there's a song he wrote called Belief a while back, and here are the lyrics of this, and I just wanna point this out and make a comment about this statement. It says, we're never gonna win the world, we're never gonna stop the war, we're never gonna beat this, meaning the things that are against us, if belief, if belief is what we're fighting for. So that really goes against like everything I believe. <laughs> so, you know, I like the riff, I, li- I like the song, it's a catchy little tune, it has a good hook, but I just thought that was interesting. And he's representing, he and I are almost the same age, he's a little older than me. And that is the feeling sometimes of a generation. It's like, we're up against it, politics don't work, and we're against the man and all that stuff. And so he's representing that tone. I couldn't disagree with him more, but I also agree in some ways. It's so amazing, he didn't write this next line about Jesus, and he doesn't, as far as I understand, have a relationship with Jesus like, like we would treasure. But look, he says, is there anyone who you can remember who ever surrendered with their life on the line? And I was just thinking like, Jesus? You know, it's almost like the perfect Sunday school answer. I read it this morning, I was like, John, it's Jesus. Like, man, he totally said that. He's like, I lay my life down on my own choice. No one makes me do this. I lay it down. And people are like, Jesus, if you're really God, do this and this and this and this. He's like, listen, I can completely surrender myself to human beings and what you want to do with me because I'm fully surrendered to Yahweh, my father, and what you do to me really is not going to impact the ultimate plan of my father, which is all that I'm about. Ultimately, as much as I love John Mayer's music, his lyrics just stir me in such a way that going like, yeah, you know, belief really does matter. So I do agree, belief matters. And what he's saying is because of, and ultimately he's taking a shot at religious groups, and he's saying because of religious group beliefs, People have been, uh, there's been ethnic genocides in our world, and there's been all sorts of atrocities from, Christianity has it in its history too. It's not, uh, it, it's not a good interpretation of what Jesus was about, but Christianity has done some things called the Crusades, which was genocidal and, and terrible in its own right. It's not just people in the Middle East in our current day who have made poor decisions based on their religious interpretations. But John Mayer is right. Belief really does drive what we do. I will say that. When he made that comment in that song that what starts war and stops wars and what all happens, he's just saying like belief is overrated. Beliefs are driving people to do what they do and it's not helping. What I would say is the right belief makes all the difference. In fact, believe Jesus changes everything. It's not, hey, believe Jesus changes everything. When you believe, you realize that Jesus 
actually changes everything. That's what, I, that's what we mean by that title. So ultimately, where we are right now here today, this statement can sum it up. Your beliefs have influenced the world around you and have shaped what you have become in this moment, good or bad. And so some of us are more aware and keenly aware of our recent decisions that have shaped our world and caused us to be where we are. Some of us are rising out of that. Like we're so proud. I I heard some of our our great uh, people who have been involved in overcomers just had a graduation. You're literally rising out of the difficulties of decisions that you've made. I mean, that's worthy of just celebration and excitement. And we've got, yeah, why don't we just, it's, it's, if you have never experienced um, addiction that, that has a lot of stigma to it, you maybe have judged people who have struggled with all kinds of narcotic addictions or alcoholism. Um, and what I would say is go and talk with somebody and hear their story first, and it'll help you be able to better understand the shoes they've had to walk through. So whatever kind of thing we're in, ultimately, our beliefs have shaped that. I know for, I mean, there's so many forms of addiction. I was just doing a, a wedding. I did a wedding yesterday afternoon, and our topic of conversation got into addictions when we were sitting at our dinner table afterwards, and we were just talking about people make decisions. We were actually talking about people who are hugely into their football teams and the things that they say and the things that they do, and it's, it's not that Clemson lost. It's that we lost when that happens, or it's not that USC won. It's that we won that game, and a person said it's, it's, that's just their form of addiction, and so it shapes everything they do. Their belief in something shapes. And so ultimately, I'm not even asking you to consider this. Your belief and my belief has really led us to where we are today, for better or for worse. Jesus shines light on belief. In John's writing, John, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, John is just one of Jesus, ends up being one of Jesus' closest friends. He's one of the disciples, but he hangs like, he gets like the extra time that uh, Peter gets a lot in the, in the scriptures. He gets a lot of extra time with Jesus. In fact, at that last supper that we just looked at, the scriptures record that John, the guy who wrote this, was literally like leaning against Jesus. So he was, he was a feeler. He was affectionate. You know, his love languages would have been quality time, touch, and probably verbal affirmation. That's John. So, and those are mine. And so, and, and actually John is the most feeling oriented book in the Bible. So I've always said like, John's my favorite book and blah, 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 blah. And then I, I did a Myers-Briggs study on all the books of the Bible, and this is the most feeling book in the Bible. Pretty interesting. So John chapter 14. I'm going to read, uh, I'll tell you a little bit of context, then let me read verse 12, and then I'll give you a little bit of context. Chapter 14, verse 12. I mean, literally, remember, I went from 8 through 31 all the way to this morning. I realized, oh, I think I'm only teaching on verse 12, aren't I, Lord? And he's like, you finally got it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. So verse 12 says this, truly, truly, which in the original language is amen, amen. That's how he starts his, his, his statement. It's almost like Matthew McConaughey saying, all right, all right, all right. He's like, amen, amen, amen. That's what Jesus is saying here is he's like, let this be and let this be. Amen, by the way, means like, let this be true. So he's like, let this be true, let this be true. And when something's repeated like this, it's like, hey, hey, all right, it's, it's getting attention. So Jesus is like, let this be, let this be. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he or she do because I'm going to the Father. Just letting it sit. It's like a good meal. More it marinates, better it tastes. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, believes in Jesus, will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will this person do because I'm going to be with the Father. So the question 
that I want to pose. I just want to pose two questions this morning. Here's the first question. What does greater works mean? What does greater works mean? The reason I uh, hyphen greater works is because this word is not just the word greater. In the original language of this writing was in the Greek language. And the word greater is megas, M-E-G-A-S, like mega. Well, yeah, that's where we get our word mega from. It's from that Greek word megas. That's not this word. In fact, just for you guys who love language and scholarship, this is what it looks like right here. And so the transliteration's right there, and that's the Greek word. And greater uh, in this passage right here is, it's better, it's really those two words. It's not just the word mega. It's, it's greater works or greater things. So Jesus, just for bringing some clarity to what does greater works actually mean, you have to understand it's not just the word mega, which can be interpreted in many different ways. The reason I'm presenting this scholastic academic approach right now is very important. What I did yesterday in my preparation is I looked through every single time that John used this word. Because a lot of times in history, uh, I found in my studies, in studying commentaries, commentaries are uh, written by people who are gifted teachers and gifted interpreters. They might not be gifted preachers. They might not even live out the things they say well, but they study the original language well, and they just tell you what it means. When I read, I probably read 30 different commentators, 30 different people who've been alive over the last 700 years about this word. And almost every, I'd say 90% of them started their commentary and said, this is one of the most difficult passages to interpret. Now, let me just clear something up. I'll just share what cleared something up for me, and whether it clears something up for you, you can decide, okay? I think that people have made that comment because they've looked at life horizontally, and they said, is that greater or not greater? That looks greater, but if I compare it to this, it's this and that and that and that. And so they've said, based on what I see here, God, you must have meant this. My theological training, one of the things I'm appreciative of, I... I was trained and practiced in Reformed theology, just words. Uh, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it, for 10 years. But one of the greatest gifts Reformed theology said and gave me was, don't interpret your horizontal and then go vertical. L- look from God's perspective vertically down at your experience. So let me just say it like that. Instead of looking at your experience and saying, God must be like this, understand who God is and through that lens, interpret your experience. What I think commentators who aren't really emotional or feelers or they're really just interested in the syntax and the grammar and the structure, but I think they got caught in a trap, which was I'm going to believe what is possible based on what I have seen as possible or impossible. And there's people in our culture, contemporaries, people who are alive today who are preachers who are defining and understanding this passage based on what they see. And so they don't see miracles. They don't see healing. They don't see um, people dead being raised. They don't see as much encouragement or salvation as they would think is gonna happen. So they actually then conclude, God does not do those greater things beyond the disciples, the apostles, and the first church. There are some of those who I respect their teaching because they really do a good job with the teaching, but their interpretation, based on what they see, they've said, that must mean for a different time and it's over. And we just don't agree with them because two things. One, our experience is we've seen so many incredible greater things, which I'll talk about, greater things, just works of God that are impossible for man to do on his own. 
number one. Actually, that's number two. Number one is we're interpreting and understanding these scriptures, number one, from God's perspective, number two, from the actual scholastic, what it actually says, and number three, we're looking at our experience and saying, hmm, does my experience reflect that? If not, we don't go, well, the Bible must be incorrect and then God isn't like that. We go, my experience doesn't match that, why? Versus my experience doesn't match that, so that must be antiquated and not true or it was for a certain time and God must not be like that anymore. Do you see the difference? It's massively important to understand that. I'm not gonna continue to teach that, but that's an equipping tool that was given to me over years and years and years of academic training from incredible men and women. So what does greater works then mean? What I'd love to offer you is you make up your mind, but this slide's gonna be, I think this is actually several slides, but what happened for me yesterday is I just went through John's account and every time this word greater works shows up, I just wanna show you the context of what it means. So, because, oh, let me just say this as a side note. Can you take it off the screen? Because no one will, it'll be hard for them to do two things at once. There we go. Okay, thank you. No, that was perfect. I messed up. So, meaning like I got ahead of myself and back. It's so funny, like as I'm teaching, I'm, I feel more giddy to be a teacher scholastically than I do like usually as just like the preacher relational guy. So it's funny that that happens right now for me, but I love it. It's good. One of the destructive, one of the destructive things that I've seen in, understanding God and theology. Theology is a study of God and who he is and what he's written. One of the destructive things is that because Jesus makes such a crazy statement, like Jesus, the son of God saying like, hey, you're gonna do something greater than me. It's like, wait a minute. So like if Terry Bradshaw won that many Super Bowls, Tom Brady gets to become the greatest of all time only if he wins more Super Bowls. So that's oftentimes how we interpret it. Jesus is going, oh, that must mean quantity. And so scholars who have really struggled with the lack of experience that they, or I'm sorry, scholars who go like, it's unholy and unrighteous and proud to say that you would do something qualitatively greater than Jesus. He's gotta mean quantity. I'm with you, that's cool. Your mind and my mind would probably go there. But there is not a single, I'll just announce it, there's not a single time, not even a single time that I'm about to show you where that word greater things means quantity. Not even once. In fact, in John 21, which we'll look at in a second, John 21 actually says greater things, talking about actually qualitatively greater, and then the next statement talks about quantity number. My point is, if those two ideas are present in a sentence, in one sentence, obviously, they mean something different. You guys still tracking with me? Just in case you're not used to the scholarly stuff, just check back in right now, and it'll be a little easier. Meaning like, if your brains are like, I can't take anymore, just clean all those files out. Let's get right back in. You can listen to podcasts later. Here we go. So look at this slide. This is going from John 1 all the way through. This is every single time that we see this Greek word meaning greater things. And right next to it, I'm just giving you context. I'm reading through this quickly. Breathe. Okay. John 1:50. Jesus says, you will do greater things. You will see greater things. He's actually talking about, you'll see it. It's a qualitative. It's not a numeric. John 4, 12, greater than Jacob. Listen, it's the same word. So just look how the whole context sets itself up, all right? Greater than Jacob doesn't mean you will be more persons than Jacob. It's not like my brother, Mike, if, if my dad said, Chris, you will be greater than your brother. Mike is my you know, earthly brother. You will be greater than Mike. My dad is not saying, Chris, there will be 15 of you. You will be so many greater than your brother. He's talking about the quality of life, not the quantity of human Okay, so I mean, I know that sounds like, Chris, you're being silly. I'm like, no, 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 I'm just trying to help you see, not emotional, not even interpretation, just what's being said. 
greater works in John 5, 20. Remember, this is the thing you wanna take a picture of so you can look at these in greater context later. So you don't just believe what I say, you're gonna look at the scriptures for yourself and try to understand it. There are greater works that you'll do. Again, that's a qualitative comparison. It sounds like numbers possibly, but if you look at it. Greater testimony. Greater testimony is another thing like greater than, than Jonah or Job or Abraham. It's saying that the testimony trumps yours. Not because there's more number, it's just better. It's more accurate, it's more clear in that regard. Greater than Abraham, that's a lot like the Jacob one. When it says there's one that's greater than Jacob or Abraham that's coming, it's not saying that there's more than those Abrahams. It's saying the qualitatively is greater. Jesus says about in John 10, 29, he says, my father is greater. He's not saying that I am one and my father is 15. My father is quite, it's the same word. This is not me just pulling random stuff. This is just word study, okay? Then he says, a servant is not greater than a master. You guys know that was never talking about servants, although it's applicable to each servant. It's not talking about the plurality of servants, if you're familiar with this passage. It's saying that that one to that master in that relationship, that one is not greater in authority or influence qualitatively than the master. It's not talking about numbers. It's talking about quality. Again, Jesus says in John 14, he says, my father is greater than me. John 15, he says, there's no greater love. There's no quality greater love than he or she who lays down his or her life for their friends. That's not talking, now they might do it multiple times, but that's not what Jesus is teaching. He's saying that one act where you laid your life down for that person, whew, there's no greater picture of love than that. Now, if that person goes on to repeat that, like, my goodness, I've never seen that greatness of love given over and over and over again, which would have been a different word. Servant is not greater. He says it again. The reason I repeat them is because these are all the times that this word shows up in John. I hope you got that. And then last, the, in John 19, he's talking about the people who would deliver him over to the point of death. And he says, there's no greater sin than that one. And that's not putting sin on, um, that's not putting sin necessarily on a level. Don't re- misinterpret that. He's just trying to make a point going like, you're thinking about this and this, but think about those who would deliver the son of God over. Now, the second slide is this. There is a, um, a rendering of that word that we've been looking at in the it's just a secondary use of it. It's very similar to it. It's just one step off from it, but it has the same root meaning. And here are the times that it shows up in John. These are all the times this one shows up. Jesus, when he is describing something, he describes a strong wind. He's not, uh, in John 6, he's not saying the wind is strong because there's so many of them. He's saying compared to all the winds that have come, this one is greater than all those other ones. Then he says, the last feast day is great. He's going, based on all the feasts that you had in the past, there's one coming that trumps them all. There's one that's coming that is better than all of those. In John eleven forty three, he talks about a voice. All the voices that come before, there's one that is qualitatively greater, not loud corporate, but loud singular. It's a moment. It's this, this, uh, this, this qualitative, not quantity. There is a high day coming. And then John 21, it's large fish. And then it talks about the number of fish they caught. So when it says large fish, that's the only one I had asterisks. And then I went and studied it again. I'm like, man, John, did you really? Like, did Jesus say this the whole time? And then right at the end of his message and right at the end of his life, he, he did like this Jesus juke that's confusing teachers. And I looked back at it. I was like, oh my goodness, I looked at the wrong word. I literally looked at the wrong word. I was interpreting the next word that talks about greatness of number. But the word before that is the one that says, the fish was great. Great big fish. And there are a lot of them is what it says. So here's a summation statement. When Jesus said we would do greater works, he did not primarily mean quantity. Here's something that's really nice. We don't have to 
conclude that Jesus never had intended that when he would do his earthly ministry, we see about, give or take, about 300 people actually believe him, trust him, and follow him. Towards the end of his crucifixion, his last stand, there's only a handful of people who are still walking in the kingdom that Jesus had represented. But arguably, scholars would say that Jesus, quote, converted, meaning helped people see what the kingdom of God is like. When Jesus, you know, when he came on earth, he said, I'm gonna show you what the kingdom of God is like right here, right now. And so there's about 300 people that not only believed him, but also confessed, yep, I'm living in that kingdom. When he leaves, this is a little bit of context, when Jesus dies, rises from the dead, is hanging out on earth for 40 more days, and then ascends to heaven, at Pentecost on the 50th, the Holy Spirit of God comes. The Holy Spirit, which I'm gonna teach in the new year, the Holy Spirit actually brings to you the presence of the Father and the Son through the giving of the Holy Spirit. Talk about how we're starting the new year. We're gonna talk about the mystery of the Trinity, how somehow Jesus echoes again and again and again, as I am in the Father and the Father is in me, the Spirit will be sent to you that we may be in you. And as we are one, you will be one church. Woo. When Peter gives his first sermon, 3,000 people enter the kingdom. That's 10 times what Jesus' earthly ministry seemed to bring about. So, and they go on and like there's 12 and then there's 170. My, my point is that Jesus, when he says greater things, it doesn't mean that we can't look and go, quantitatively, there's a lot going on. No, it, it can mean that as well. And that's encouraging that as you leave today, if Jesus were just himself leaving and he went to Red Bull and then he took a nap and then he went for a walk on the Swamp Rabbit Trail, it would be one person impacting people. But the hundreds of you who are here leaving, there is a quantitative difference. But the qualitative similarity is the stature of Jesus' works. Be careful that you look at your life or those lives around you or you make people heroes because they've lived out their faith in more spectacular ways than you and you determine, oh, that greater stuff's for other people. Why did you suddenly become the exception to God living in you doing lesser things? It's really, I mean, I promise you, this is not an experiential talk. This is purely a theology, scholastic talk. greater things. Um, there are things that happen after Jesus sins that didn't happen in Jesus' life. Don't get into the trap. It'll be really clear in a moment. Don't get in the trap of going, well, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after he was dead for four days. I'm going to go to a cemetery because those people have been gone dead for a long time. I'm going to do a greater resurrection because it's qualitative. Hey, where do you do ministry? Cemeteries. You, oh, you do, you do ministry among the living? Cool. I do ministry among the dead. Really? Yeah. How many people are dead when you do ministry? All of them that I find are dead in the grave. I mean, everybody that attends my ministry is dead. It's, that's, that's just silly talk. You're trying to one-up Jesus and like, that's not what he's saying. He's not, it's not the invitation, but here's the incredible statement. So two moments that happen that are different than anything that happened with Jesus' life that talks about, a, it's not qualitatively greater. It's just another uh, it's like if you spin a diamond, there's a bunch of facets. We see more of the multifaceted glory and power of God as the church age, the spirit age, which we live in, is expanding the world. Even the, even the location of Jesus' ministry, once the disciples, you know the disciples ended up going to the ends of the earth at that time that were known? 
Jesus was just hanging out in like this area in Israel. They went all over the place. So again, it, it doesn't mean that it's not quantity, but if you only say, oh, Jesus meant quantity, we'll go more places, there'll be more of us. I promise that you've, re- you've reinterpreted that to justify a lesser expression of the kingdom of God, quality-wise. Two examples, John, um, Acts chapter five, verse 15. This passage says that when Peter was walking by crowds, when his shadow in the, literally the heat of the sun and the light of the sun uh, cast a shadow off his body, when his shadow would touch people, they were healed. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. That didn't happen when Jesus was doing his thing. Doesn't mean Peter's greater. He's just walking in the multifaceted revelation of God. It's awesome. Paul, in Acts 19, has anointed sweat. And so he has his handkerchief and the sweat and the the smell of of palm, Christ in him, the fragrance of Christ. When people touch that handkerchief, you know, like I watch the NBA and when the NBA athletes leave the court, they like take off their sweatbands and they give them to people. I'm like, that's disgusting. I don't care if you're, I mean, you're literally giving me your dirty laundry, like, oh, thank you. And a lot of times they throw their jersey and it like smacks on people's face. I'm like, that's, that's cruel. That's not even fun. And so they think so much of themselves that you want my dirty laundry. Obviously you can maybe clean it up and make it valuable. But when Paul's handkerchief is touched by people, they're healed and demons are cast out. I mean, it's insane. So there are, listen, that's not greater. It's just multifaceted, right? Do you understand that? Let me just drive this home in case. So if you've, if it's been too dense for you, just recheck in right now. Remember, clear file, make space. Read this on the screen. This will bring it all together, I believe. What does greater works mean? Listen, how linear of a teacher I am today. Thank you, Lord. A, all great, this is, this is the, this is the moment right here. You need to hear this one. All greater works are made possible because of Jesus and they're done with Jesus, and no work is great without Jesus. So what's awesome is this. It's not like if you, you know, a lot of scholars, I think this is hilarious. They're like, we've never heard of anybody walking on water again. Like, I mean, to be candid, the only reason Jesus walked on water is because his buddies were already in the boat and they were crossing. And I've been in at the Sea of Galilee to walk around would have taken so much longer. The fastest route is literally right across the water. And He just walked across the water. So like some scholars are like, so since nobody's walked on water, they haven't done things greater than Jesus. And I'm like, (laughs) I think like raising the dead and and, like opening the eyes of the blind is a little more important than like transportation and walking. And so my, my point in saying that to you is this, whatever you do is not a moment to say, let me compare that with you, Jesus, because if there's any great work in your life, it's because what Jesus said is true. I'm gonna go be with the father and where I go, I'll prepare a place for you that the influence, man, too many rooms. If you didn't hear that sermon, listen, it was a few weeks ago in podcast. The influence of the father that has been influencing me will now be your primary influence in you. So if there's any great work, in the last few years, one of the things that's really uh, been a wonderful blessing and challenge for our church is when we've got started, um, it's not that we didn't pray for people who were sick or hurting or depressed or physically with disease. We did pray, but the Lord, the Spirit's taught us to pray differently and more confidently based on what the scriptures say. And we are seeing person after person after person after person be radically changed, just the multifaceted glory of God. We're also seeing people who we've prayed for, some of them haven't been healed and we're all together learning what that looks like. My point to you is this, it's not as though anything that we've seen in our lives or read about other people's lives, if there's something that great that's done, that thing has been done because of Jesus and with Jesus. 
So it's actually impossible to compare my work and Jesus's work because if there's anything great coming from our lives, <laughs> it's because of the partnership that he put together. So literally I can't split like, hey Jesus, that sentence, what part did you say and what part did I say? Because I remember I thought of the intro. And so like, do I get, I don't get, both of our names will be on the book. Oh yeah, that's, that seems good. That seems, yeah, that's, that's good. Like, we're, we're a little cuckoo. <laughs> And we're like, Jesus, look at this. You know, he's like, hey, read a little bit of Romans, baby. Like, without me and you, like, this would be a mess. So if you're trying to compare and contrast to figure out what greater expression looks like, that's already a trap, and that's horizontal rather than vertical. Anything that's ever been done great in your life has been done with God. And ultimately, it's been done with God with you. Jesus chose that. You know that, right? Some of you may have heard that leverage, like, hey, you, you need to be yoked with Jesus. And they're like telling you physically, spiritually, emotionally, you need to go put yourself with Jesus. Every day you've been alive, I promise you, God has known about you and Jesus came to you and actually yoked you with him. And yoke is not, by the way, I, I know about probably 50% of this room still thinks this, and this is okay. Yoke is not an egg with the shell and like the yellow thing and the clear thing. I promise, it's okay. I mean, as I've asked that question, about 50% of people privately tell me that's what they thought it was. A yoke is for oxen where they're literally, they, they are literally hooked in together with one another and they literally navigate and go to places together. You did not yoke yourself to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus came and said, I'm in with you, baby. Come on, I'm gonna go with you. And so when you feel like, man, I'm so distant from God, all you may have done has been that other ox. It's like, eh, I wanna go over here, eh, I wanna go over here. But the, the, the wooden beam doesn't stretch. Like, she's like, nope, I'm on this straight and narrow and you're way over. It's not like ooze. It's not like Gumby. It's not like the rubber man or whoever that guy is in some sort of fantastic movie or whatever. It doesn't work like that. B, greater works is not about comparing Jesus' life to ours. It's a description of what partnership with him will produce. Isn't that amazing? Number two, how, how do we do great works? How do we do great works? Um, one of my favorite artists, and he says plenty of off-color things and scandalous things. In fact, I, I was listening to his clean versions of songs and uh, ended up being able to interact with him online and his people and was telling him how I think how great his art is. And then like a month later, somehow, I don't know, but I listened to the explicit version. I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> and so I'm not necessarily condoning this, but as far as art form goes and some of the messages he was making, we had an incredible gospel connection um, because of who I know God to be and who they think he could be like. Long story short, uh, Macklemore, in one of his songs, he talks about how uh, we become an expert in something when we practice something for 10,000 hours. Now, that's not a unique thing to Macklemore. That's been a, a study done that once you do something for 10,000 hours, you, you pretty much might reach an expert level. And his lyrics are, the greats weren't great because at birth they could paint. The greats were great because they paint a lot. I think that one of the ways that you do greater works is that you practice something. And listen, this is so important. You don't practice works in Jesus's account. Can you, let me read verse 12 to you. This is so important. Truly, truly say to you, whoever practices believing does greater works. So if you wake up tomorrow, like I wanna do great things for God, practice believing. You don't wake up and go, I'm gonna do great things for God today. And then the, here's what happens. You make a list of what you think is great. 
Was somebody getting sold out by one of his best friends during the night and having a botched trial, being spit on and laughed at and stripped and beaten, and then going to a cross and actually dying and then being put in a grave, your idea of a great Monday? It's one of the greatest days in history that would never make one of our lists for our day, right? But if you practice belief, Jesus said, everything I practice is just being in sync with Abba, God, my Father, God. Great are you, Lord. We say, why do we sing great are you, Lord? Because he said, I'm gonna practice believing rather than outward signs. And you think about it, when Jesus did these outward signs and all these incredible miracles, he was consistently like, hey, does that help you what? Believe. You get that? It's not that these things, listen, when the supernatural invades the natural and things happen that you cannot be described outside of some, some form of something, which is the way John talked, by the way, if you think like, hey, man, why don't you just say it? Well, John actually went to his audience and said, do you guys believe that there's some force behind all of this? In the Bible days, they were like, yes, we believe that is Logos. He's like, yes, Logos, that's a good name for it. And he went on and on and on and on and on. And then finally he's like, his name's Jesus. And they're like, kill that man. So it's not that I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just, my point to you is the world truly is very interested in seeing things that cannot be understood, not so they can practice, but so they can believe in what the source is. So when Jesus is not making much of his miracles and signs and all these things he does is because he goes, I only do these things so that you might believe that God loves you. So greatness going to the cross and dying was going, I love you. We think of greatness as our prosperity, our position, our acceptance, our finances, our relationship, our body getting the American or just success of what we imagine that could look like. The gospel and the kingdom of God is not super interested in that kingdom. The kingdom of God is interested in Believing, and believing turns into amazing seeing. Your beliefs set your boundaries, and what you practice, you will perfect. So I'm, there's four slides. I'm not, I, I won't have time to talk about them. But I looked at all the greater things, and then I looked at, the, I looked at about 20 of the, I looked at every, by the way, this morning and yesterday, I went through John and read all the greater comments, and then I read all the ones that say believe. There are 76 times where John writes that Jesus was teaching about believing. That's more than all the other gospels combined by like, it's triple it almost. 27 verse 76, you do the math. It's about, it's about two thirds more. These are some of the statements. I'm just gonna read them real fast, like faster than I even read the other ones, ready? Jesus is saying, this is what believing does. This is what believe. The pathway belief leads to greater and our definition of greater needs to be the stature of Christ. But the, the goal is not to try to live out to the stature of Christ. The goal is to believe as he's told us to believe. Just take him in his word. Believing makes children of God. Believing literally makes you, that's what children of God do. Believing leads to greater seeing. Believing helps one believe scripture. It actually says that, it's incredible. In 2.22, I read that earlier this morning. I was like, oh man, that's so cool. That actually says that. Even though the, that wasn't even in this scripture. Jesus says that and it actually ends up going in the scripture. You guys get that? It's kind of neat. You have to be real like ADD to catch that one. 312, lacking belief. I, I, when I get fast like this, people who 
are blessed with ADD, you go like, man, I, you were on today. I could follow you. <laughs> it's because I'm going fast enough. <laughs> the rest of you are like, you need to slow down. I'm like, I'm sorry. Lacking belief can blind you. Woo. Then he goes on to say, eternal life is lived in, uh, lived in through believing. So some of us are trying to get to, like, how do I get to eternal life? And Jesus is like, you believe. Believing in me is eternal life. 3.16, believing cancels perishing. It's talking about an eternal separation from God. I'm almost done, by the way. If you're visiting, sermon's almost done, and we're not gonna close in, in song um, so I could teach more. That's, I guess, what I end up doing. 3.18, there's no condemnation for those who are believing. Like, God, you know what? Let's just think about this for a moment. When you have sinned and you feel bad about it, don't you talk to God about that condemnation? You do. That's not what that passage says. That passage says those who are believing him aren't going to struggle with the residual condemnation that the enemy brings. The consequences of your sin are natural and already happening. When you go talk to God about those things, you have literally said believing is secondary because obviously since I did these sinful things, I need to make that right. The reason you did those sinful things is because you weren't believing right. So to go to God and say, hey, help me out with this stuff, he's gonna go, what were you believing? Oh, I'm condemned. He's like, no, 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 no. I just want to tell you, like, it's about believing, sweetheart. That's what I do with my kids. It doesn't always seem to work out well, but it, with God, it does. That's the way he does things. Believing helps others believe. That's one of the reasons we gather on Sundays. Believing fosters more belief. It's so good. Believing is the fruitful work of God. Jesus says that. He says, you know, your believing is a byproduct of God's work. So, Wow. God's a provider. He's giving you the belief you need. Hunger and thirst are satisfied through believing. So that means like I'm hungry and I believe that you will satisfy rather than going, if I'm hungry, then you're holding out. It's bringing a lack of belief into it and rather than believing. This last side, unbelief produces more unbelief, Jesus says. Belief prepares the heart for the Holy Spirit. Believing leads to hearing and seeing. Belief defeats death. God's glory is experienced through believing. Sometimes, and I've heard Oliver talk about this, and you can hear people say this all the time. They go, if I could just see something, then I'd believe. The kingdom of God is literally the other direction. It says, come believing. You're gonna see all kinds of things. But if you stand on the outside and go, until I see this, I can't believe, then you take your seat with all the people that were around Jesus for the most part. And listen, I've been one of those people, I did it for decades. Like if I could just see this and see this and see this and see this, I didn't say I'd believe, I go, I'll be more faithful. <laughs> I'll do this for you and I'll do that for you if you do this for me. And he was just kind and patient with me in those years. So number two, this is the final thing, I'm just reading these. How do we do greater works? A, practice believing. Just practice believing. Don't practice walking on water. Practice believing that God is leading you in this present moment for his glory and he might lead you to a juxtaposition of the cross and death and sacrifice, or he might lead you to a transfiguration moment or anything between, because he wants to spin the diamond of his glory and show the multifacetedness of it. B, greater kingdom believing leads to greater kingdom living. We are the quantity of God in the world so that all the world can experience the quality of God. You know, the greatest work is reconciliation to him, right? Reconciliation is bringing back to its original state of relationship. As a counselor, I try to consistently do that in marriages that are broken. Help each individual understand what it looks like to be whole and believe they're whole, W-H, whole in Christ, and then reintroduce themselves to each other as whole people in Christ. That's to get to the point where they might be reconciled to God and then to one another. 
the greatest accent this morning is ultimately the greatest context. It's not about walking on water or any of these other things. Those are secondary, those are fruits. The greatest work has been done by Jesus. Reconciliation with God. The greatest work we can and will do is, is ultimately believing we are reconciled with God and help other people do the same. Now, he might get their attention by something miraculous or something that you endure. I've experienced incredible ministry watching the, the divine touches through, I can't explain that, and I've watched great ministry I've been a part of when I've been suffering greatly, and I believe. In fact, I might argue that I've seen more people trust in Jesus through my trying to believe in the midst of my suffering because they understand that because they're in it. When I experience miracles and wonders at the, when Jesus is using my hands, it usually creates a little bit of a distance between me and the person in their mind. But we meet in our suffering. So all I'm saying, there's glory in both. That's all I'm saying. And wouldn't it be awesome if works and power and all these great works and greater things were fruits that Jesus' suffering was great and his glory is great. Those are, those are fruits of believing. And Jesus trusted in his greatest suffering. He believed. I just commission you, you who are yoked with Jesus, practice believing this week. Today, as it is today, just practice believing today. Practice believing. And if you're already stuck, like, oh, I've already found an obstacle, talk to Holy Spirit about that moment and decide who has the authority in my life right now. I lack belief, so I'm condemned. Wrong direction. God, the enemy is trying to tempt me to be defined by my unbelief. Help me practice believing. And by the way, don't be a feeler and wait like I do. Say, mind, let's believe truth. Let's believe Jesus and let's practice believing even if I don't feel like it. So I just bless you and speak over you as we sang, it's your breath in my lungs. Great are you, Lord. You're worthy and we love you and we praise you. We love being your bride, we love being your church and we go in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.